Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Hey friend, I am so excited to invite you to a free three-day challenge called the Reflect and Renew Challenge. In this free challenge, you'll begin to think about teaching elementary music in a new way. In just three days, you'll go from feeling overwhelmed to confident and will surround yourself with other music teachers who will support and encourage you. Day one is all about reflecting. You'll reflect back over where you're at in the school year and identify the highs and lows, no matter if you are joining this challenge at the beginning, middle, or end of the school year. We start with reflecting first in order to move forward successfully. Day two is all about processing. You'll process through what it is you need to focus on to make your music teaching situation successful. Then day three is all about renewal. You'll break through mindset beliefs while setting goals and action steps to help you meet them. Each day of the challenge, you'll be getting a daily challenge email that will contain action steps for you to take. So simply head to subscribepage.com forward slash reflect and renew challenge to save your seat. And I'll see you there. I'm Chris Nessie, host of Behind the Mic, Voices of the EPN part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome back to the podcast today. I am joined by Ashley Cuthbertson, and we are going to talk about culturally responsive music education if you have been on the internet any amount of time, you or in the world of music education, you have probably seen Ashley's work. And if not, I'm so excited for her to tell you more about what she does, because I truly, I learned so much from her. Uh, just even, I've been watching her video she's been putting out lately. We were talking about that before we started recording. So first of all, Ashley, I'm so excited to have you here. And let's just start by having you introduce yourself to the listeners today. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Jessica, for having me. I'm so excited to to talk about my work, my life's work that I'm doing, and um, just to connect more with you. So thank you so much for the invitation to share and to chat a little bit. So hello, I'm Ashley Cuthbertson. I use the pronouns she and her, and I'm a former pre-K through 12 music educator and college professor turned educational consultant and CEO of A. Cuthbertson Consulting. 
Uh, we're an educational consulting firm. We partner with schools, districts, and organizations primarily to help music educators be culturally responsive and relevant to the diverse and ever-evolving needs of today's learners, because we believe that every child deserves an equitable pathway to the power that is music education. Uh, but before all that, like I said, I was a music educator teaching uh, pre-K through 12, but primarily I taught elementary school. So I'm excited to be on your podcast because I know that's your your folks are elementary teachers. So that's that's my folks too. I taught mostly K through six general music, but also choir. But I taught literally pre-K through 12. I taught band. I taught private lessons for a long time. I was a college professor. I did a little bit of everything. Um, during my time in the classroom, like many teachers, I came into the classroom super excited. I'm based here in the, the DC metro area in Northern Virginia. Uh, came into the classroom super excited like most people are and then quickly discovered that uh, just being excited was not gonna be enough for my kids to wanna engage. Uh, I often tell the story about, and I won't go into the whole story, but I often tell the story about my time in the classroom and my the district where I taught the longest in Fairfax. I was there 10 of my 12 years that I taught. I remember being so excited to get into that first classroom. Fairfax is a big deal, 12th largest school district in the nation. And my students were just like not buying what I was selling. And I remember a particularly rough lesson with one of my fifth grade classes. And luckily Fairfax has such a robust uh, new teacher program, mm -hmm. both um, like a kind of countywide thing, but also like very intentional about making sure that teachers have mentors, people to, uh, work with them and work besides them as they're going through, you know, just the daily tribulations of being a mm -hmm. teacher. And I was very fortunate that my mentor was a music teacher in my same school, veteran teacher, 30 years, had been in that school for decades. And I remember kind of venting to her after this particularly chaotic, disastrous lesson. And she was like, Ashley, stop. You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Everything you have told me is about what you want to do, how mm. you want to teach, what you think they need to be doing. But have you stopped and really learned who your kids are besides their names? Because of course I knew their names, but mm. I realized from that hard feedback, and that was hard to get. I'm an overachiever. I was excited about teaching. So hearing from her that really good feedback, but hard feedback of like, you've really missed the mark by like a lot, Ashley. That was hard. And so I had the decision of like, am I going to lean into my ego of what, what I thought I was supposed to do, or am I going to take this as you can really do something good here if you lean into what she's saying? And so it really led me to this like lifelong pursuit of how do I ensure that every student I work with doesn't just learn music and like, because I think we talk a lot about like the joy, but we yeah. forget about just the immense life values that people who are uh, and research has proven many times over that when you're involved in music education, high quality, not just playtime, you know, but really high quality music education, but just numerous benefits on test scores on, uh, it's been found that you're more likely to graduate from high school. You're more likely to actually go to school, less attendance issues, wellness, all these different things. Um, it's been my, my mission to make sure that all kids have access to that because music truly changed my life. I would not be who I am. Um, besides the music part, like just the, the person I am is very much affected by the lessons and the values I learned. And I had to accept that I was, I was the obstacle in my classroom because I was not teaching in a way that was best positioned to work with my kids. I was kind of working against them. And so the work that I do um, now is to make sure that less music teachers have to struggle the way I did. Because it took many years of me just trialing and erroring to figure mm -hmm. it out. One thing in particular that was really frustrating to me, and maybe you've experienced this also, Jessica, in your work, is that I found that I had to actually go outside of music education to get the professional learning that I needed because 
And one of my uh, coaching clients said this to me last year. She said, music uh, PD at my district is like teacher playtime. And it's fun mm. to see the music teachers in our district. And it's fun to get, you know, we do our choir read through and get new choir octavos. And it's fun to get these new lessons, but there's no pedagogy. Like, it's great that you gave me that information, but what am I going to do after I've taught that lesson you gave me? You didn't actually teach me like the pedagogical principles to be able to recreate this for myself. And so I learned that I actually had to go outside of music education and engage in PD that like my colleagues in the general ed classrooms were getting to really learn the pedagogical things. And uh, as I was getting better at teaching my own kids and was asked to share at districts and other things, I became more and more frustrated that in music education, what I was doing was not existing because it was exhausting to have to find all these different things. Um, and so a little over a year ago, I decided to solve that problem. We should not have to run ourselves ragged to get the mm -hmm. learning that we need to stay relevant to what our kids need us to do. So that's the work that I do now. Oh, Ashley, so much there. And I'm like nodding my head the whole time just because I agree with everything you just said. And I have that experience too. I'm like not laughing at you, but with you, if we can be honest, because same yeah. in my classroom, it was the same experience because you bring in what you think you're supposed to be doing or you're told to teach these songs, these activities to, to teach towards these concepts. But it's not a blanket approach. It does. It's not a one size fits all approach. And I quickly realized too, I got the deer in the headlights looks or my kids were just refusing to participate or yeah. I had a lot of lack of singing. They just didn't want to. And I thought, right. what? And then that's what I did. Same talked to a mentor, but then also kind of did a lot of self-reflection of why, why are they yeah. not responding in here? I want this to be an interactive space where they're creating yeah. music. So why is it not happening? And then I'm looking at some of the songs I'm bringing and going, well, I don't even really like this song or they don't really <laughs> connect with this song. They don't understand. Let's be honest mm -hmm. who Alabama gal is. They don't, they don't care. We live in Tulsa. They don't care about Alabama. You know, like I'm just being yeah. honest. And so yeah. it really, it really was a lot of, it wasn't an overnight fix for any, you know, by any means, but it was, okay, what can I change one thing in this, like in my um, class time? And then it would be, okay, what else can I change? And I started noticing better response, but also you touched on this too. I got student feedback of what do you like to listen to? What, what, how do you like to create music and those kind of things? And just even getting conversations going, it helps so much because right. they're all of a sudden like, oh, she cares about my opinion and it gets some buy-in that way. So right. I love that you said all that and I completely agree. And you're right. There is not very much out there or anything, let's be honest, to help music educators learn how to do this. And same, I had to go, like my mentor teacher was a third grade teacher, or I would ask a lot of the classroom teachers in my building because there was yeah. nothing out there. Um, so yes, yes to all of that. And I love the work you're doing and I completely agree. Your story, seriously, it's like, yes. <laughs> so we are, you've already touched on a lot of this, but we're going to dive deeper into culturally responsive music education. And yeah. so I just wanted to start off a teacher listening today that maybe is like, I've heard this phrase. I've heard mm -hmm. teachers talking about it, but I'm not really quite sure what being culturally responsive means. How would you answer that? Yes. And so first I would say to that teacher that there's not really like a doing culturally responsive teaching. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we're like, how do we do it? Actually, somebody just the other day on my uh, one of those videos that I'm uh, sharing every day in July asked me, well, how do I do this thing? It's not actually a doing, it's more of a being. So culturally responsive teaching in the broader sense is 
how do you utilize the cultural frames of reference of your students to be able to make the learning experiences actually contextualized for them so that they can learn at deeper levels uh, such that the instruction is transferring into other contexts. We don't want to just give kids information and then they're nice and then they forget about it. It reminds me of like when I was in high school, I was a master test taker because I would cram the night before the test. And then two weeks later, I have literally no idea what I just learned because I just crammed all that information in, but there was no information processing. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be that kind of element. And then I define culturally responsive music education as how do we leverage the prior knowledge, experiences, and interests of our students that's actually the cultural part. I know culture is like triggering for people, but mm -hmm. it's really just the common values and beliefs of a group of people. So how do we leverage that once we learn about our students enough to understand beyond the surface level, like favorite colors, favorite song, but how do we actually leverage their cultural frames of knowledge, that prior um, experience and knowledge and interest mm -hmm. to work in partnership with them. So not power over, but power with our kids to really involve them in relevant real world contexts of music making such that we're furthering their understandings about who they are, people around them, and also the world at a greater um, a greater capacity. It's not good enough. I always tell my teachers I work with, if what you're teaching in your classroom is just good enough in this one, you know, four walls of your music room, that is not a real world context. What's in it for your students to want to engage when you're just playing the, a recorder song? What is learning that recorder song going to have value to their life? That's actually what we need to get to the heart of. And when we start from that place, instead of, well, we got to get through this third grade recorder curriculum like I had to, <laughs> where we start from that place of why and what's in it from our students, that's how we can really work in partnership with them to make mm -hmm. this learning be relevant and also contextualized to them. When mm -hmm. we're teaching things that have like no relevance, it's hard, even as adults, it's hard to hold on to something when you have no context for like where this is placed. And our kids need us to do that for them, just like we do it for ourselves. Yeah. So a teacher who, let's maybe speak to a first year teacher and well, we know it's a hot mess. So let, let's maybe use year three as an example, because <laughs> year one, sorry, first year teachers, I'm, you're going to get benefit from this as well. But year three, they've been in the classroom a while. They're kind of figuring out their teaching style. They kind of like, oh, I'm kind of understanding what works or didn't work, but I still want better ways to connect with my students. So how can they practice culturally relevant teaching in their classroom? Like what are ways they maybe give an example? Cause I know it's impossible in this podcast episode to cover every teaching concept, but what is, you mentioned recorder, for example. So let's just start with that. If they're teaching recorder and they have this group of students and they're what, what is the best way to present recorder to their group of students that they have in front of them? Yes, I actually would say that this is good for all teachers, even that first year. Okay. I would even argue the first year teacher, if you can start to master working in partnership with your students, mm. the sooner you do it, the easier it's going to be. I work with teachers of all, you know, new teachers, yeah. mid-career, veteran. The, the longer you go on in your career without really mastering how do I learn the the values and the beliefs of my students, really the harder, I think the harder it gets. But you can get that. Mm -hmm. If you can do that, and that's the only thing you do in your first year of teaching, is just like master who are my students, you're going to be good to go because everything yeah. comes from what do I know from my students. Mm. So even um, if we're going to use recorder as an example, does it even make sense to teach recorder to that group of students at this time? It might not make sense to teach recorder. It might make more sense to learn something else, to learn another instrument entirely or something, you know, something that is maybe not in, even in that vein, mm -hmm. but even the like the thought process of I'm going to teach recorder for these kids at this time. Does that even make sense for them? Is that gonna is there gonna be a right. uh, 
a relevant real world context that I can bring in here for them? Or does something mm -hmm. else need to happen first? Do I need to build background knowledge? That's also something that we can do. Or does it like just not make any sense at all for us to be learning the recorder? That's like the bigger kind of questions that have to be asked if we're really going to say, I'm going to work in partnership with my students versus I really want to teach recorder. How do I figure it out? It's like, actually, you're trying to put, you yeah. might be putting a round peg into a square. What is that they call it? Put the round. Yeah, the little. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you might be trying to force something that yeah. like doesn't need to be forced. They could learn the same objective another way. So mm -hmm. why not do it in the way that's going to make more sense to them? Mm -hmm. That goes back to something I tell teachers a lot too, and I'm sure you've used this example a lot, is the comparing yourself to others. And I think a lot of times music teachers fall them find themselves in the situation where, oh, well, other teachers are teaching recorder, so I think I should too. Or other teachers are teaching whatever, insert the blank. So you start doing something just because you've learned it at a workshop or because you've seen other teachers maybe in your district or maybe not even in your district, just on social media doing that. But mm -hmm. I love how you're flipping this from there's no rule book saying you have to do this. You have to do a certain thing in your music room. It goes back to the students and knowing what works for them. And I also love that you said you can teach the same objective just a different way. And right. um, another thing I would say is, and we'll probably get into this, is one of those teachers that says, but I've always done recorder or I've always done it this way. It doesn't mean that you can't change it. It doesn't mean that you can't you know, modify your instruction a little bit. It, you know, yeah. nothing's ever set in stone. And so um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I know that's what I did when I started out. I was thinking, okay. I have no idea how, yeah. Like, how do I begin creating instruction? Oh, so the very first thought process was, well, what's everybody else doing? How are yeah. they all, or what did my student, what did my cooperating teacher from my student teaching placement do? Oh, she yeah. did recorders. So I think I'm supposed to. And it doesn't mean like I hated it, but that was really the reasoning behind starting it. And so I, yeah. yeah, I love going back to the students and what they need. I think that's so important. Yeah. And I think also it's a, it's a <clears throat> skill that oftentimes I don't see being taught in teacher education programs for music educators anyway of like the actual, the, it's not a natural skill for everybody to be able to really get past like the surface level of culture. We all talk about like, well, mm. what language do they speak and where are they from in the world? And what's, but that's like so surface, right? The really the the heart of understanding somebody's cultural frames of reference is getting to what do they, what do they fundamentally believe? How do they mm. see the world? And what, what has caused them to feel or see or be motivated that way? That's a deeper level of culture that I think we don't uh, first of all, we don't talk about enough, especially in music education, where we're so concerned with diversifying repertoire, which is not culturally responsive at all. Um, but we don't uh, we don't even learn how to do that in our teacher education programs. And so oftentimes I see teachers getting kind of turned out in their you know those first few years. And mm -hmm. it's hard out there because the reality is your cooperating teacher was is a cooperating teacher because they have a handle on what they are doing. Right. So you're going to go to a situation where you might not have a handle on what's going on. Like, did you, yeah. were you taught how to figure that out? I think too many of us are not set up for success in that way. And I think that's mm -hmm. why so many teachers leave in the first five years is mm -hmm. because it's so, it's so disillusioned from like what you thought was going to happen with your cooperating teacher who like has everything together. And then it's like, the reality is you're not going to have it together that first year and that's okay. But are you going to be able to develop the skills to be able to figure it out? And I think that gets to the, the heart of what a culturally responsive teaching approach is about is how do you develop those skills? Because knowledge is only going to get you so far. But mm -hmm. when, if you have skills and disposition, just what I help teachers to develop, you can really do anything because the knowledge is going to like, 
fade. And in yeah. a year, that knowledge might not be relevant anymore anyway. Yeah, that's true. And going back to what you said about first year teaching, you're right. I was thinking about my own experience of, oh my gosh, like I don't know what I'm doing. How do I plan lessons? How do I plan curriculum? But gosh, if I had started from day one, from year one of really understanding and grasping what you're speaking about today, I know that I would not have felt as burnt out. I yeah. would have still felt overwhelmed because every first year teacher, you can have a little bit of that. But yeah. I would have really started understanding how to teach music to my students, really getting yeah. to know them. Um, so yeah, a first year teacher listening to this, I think it's so important to really know the students you're working with. We're not saying don't see what ideas are out there, not to right. bring in ideas you learn from workshops, but I love how Ashley is saying, but know your students. Your students yeah. won't be the same as students from your cooperating teacher placement. They're not right. going to be the same students that you see another teacher presenting recorder lesson to. Um, right. It's going to be your students. And so I love that we keep bringing it back to that. I think it's so important. Yeah. Comparison really is the thief of joy. Okay? What you do in your classroom is going to be unlike anybody else's. And that's the point. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be like anybody else's. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when you're working with music teachers, uh, I've heard you tell me, you know, during different coaching calls, some comments or questions or frustrations that come out. So what are questions you've heard or even pushback you get from music educators that you've worked with? This is such a, a great question. Alex. I love this. <laughs> I expect there to be pushback. And so, <laughs> so I've gotten really good about how do I, how do I partner? Just like I partnered with my kids, right? Mm -hmm. But I learned if I partner with my students, instead of trying to like buck against them, like that's how I can walk with them rather than like ahead of them and try and drag them kicking and screaming with me. Like how do I partner with the teacher who is having a pushback? Because really at the heart of um, every kind of comment of pushback. So comments of pushback I often get are, this is one more thing I have to do, or this is the next new trendy thing. Why I, I can just wait till the wave goes, uh, passes us by like every other new trend has and I'll keep on doing what I've been doing. Or um, my my favorite one, because it's probably the worst one, is music is already cultural, so I don't have to put anything more into it. It's already uh, yes and no. At the heart of all of those things really is fear, fear of not having it all together, fear of doing the wrong thing, especially with all these divisive concept policies and laws. I totally get That's one of the number one things when I work with teachers that comes out of, I'm just afraid of causing offense. And I get it. We live in a very politically charged time. And I think also, like I said, it's the, the fear is kind of at the heart of a lot of those things. I think it's also important to note as um, as music educators, remembering kind of how we got to where we are. There's a lot of inequities that happen to even who is the teacher in the classroom, right? And so a lot of times we think about, well, we had to audition to be able to even get into our college programs. We had to probably do pretty, like I did extensive things that I have never used. Like I had to do all these like theory things and like piano tests and like I didn't I didn't really play all these you know anyway getting off track so all these things that really didn't matter in my actual teaching classroom serve as gatekeepers for us to even be the ones teaching in front of our kids in the first place but it also forces this like feeling of urgency and competitiveness and comparison because we were being compared to everybody else right and so because we already have that spirit within us it's like ingrained because of the system right the system is ingrained these like very negative self-talky things we bring that with us into our classrooms if we're not aware that we're bringing that with us that's where those pushback comments come from it's, it's from teachers who just haven't done the 
the self-work and the reflection to really understand their own cultural frames of reference. And we all have them. I don't care what race or ethnicity you are. Mm -hmm. You have something that's at the heart of why you believe what you believe. And there's reasons why. When teachers don't fully understand those things, that's what leads them to have those pushback comments because they're just... Um, they are acting upon what the system has told them, but they're also afraid. They're afraid that, you know, they had to they had to do all of those auditions, right? And even when I was in college, not only did I have to audition to get in, I had to audition every semester to be in the different um, courses and performing ensembles, right? So it was like this constant, yeah. <laughs> this constant thing, yes. right? And so we're bringing that with us into our classrooms, but we're also bringing that mindset with us, which is that we have to have everything together. We have to be perfect. I can't let people know that maybe I don't have it all together, but actually like once you start to peel back the layers of your own beliefs and your own values and you understand why you have those, then that's when I find that teachers are, are more willing to start to poke through these things. And so often when like school districts will contact me and want me to work with their teachers, they want me to talk about repertoire choice and how do I write a lesson? And actually I can't do any of that until I shift your mindset first, because mm -hmm. I can, I can give you like my guidelines for how to pick better repertoire. That's going to be more connecting to your kids. I can give you a lesson plan, but what I can't do is shift your mindset. I can help you do it, but I can't like fundamentally help you believe that your kids are brilliant and capable. If you don't fundamentally believe that. Ooh, that is so good. Oh, I love that. So is there anything about culturally responsive teaching that we haven't talked about today that you would love for the music educators listening to know? Yeah, I, I think I talked about it a little bit. I think the, the number one thing that I would love for more music educators to not just know, but to embrace is that what we do as music educators is so powerful. It's so much more than teaching kids instruments or to sing or going to education or festivals. The power of music education is that it really can shift lives. And so when we move from that belief about what we do, I think it elevates how we feel about ourselves and it elevates our profession. I think what I've learned in this last year of full-time being a consultant, working with schools and districts and teachers all, all over the country is that there needs to be a bigger shift in our field of how music educators fundamentally feel about themselves. I think many of us are beaten down about you know, being the last person to know about the new initiative in your school district or the last one to get the new smart board in your classroom. Like, I think many of us are beaten down because we often are, we're marginalized in our schools. But I think if we remember just the power that what we do, when we operate from that belief, when we can believe bigger about ourselves, I think we'll be able to better embrace more equitable, more culturally responsive practices as a field in general. And so I would love for more teachers to, um, just to believe that what they do is important. And I know that there's other systematic things in place mm -hmm. that need to be shifted so that we can get, you know, the financial resources, the support, the professional learning that we need. And I think when more of us fundamentally believe that what we do is more than just a band concert, I think yeah. that our field will fundamentally look different and we'll be able to support our kids better as well. Ah, so good. And the last part you said, more than just a band concert or more than just a performance, more than just a musical program. I mean, those are important. Yeah, having kids showcase their work, but that's not, should not be the end all be all. And I've always felt like I was one of the only ones that had that opinion out there. Cause I was like, should it just be about the concert, preparing for the concert, preparing for the concert. And that's sometimes, I know that's just sometimes even expectations put on the music teacher that this is what we do. This is what you do, but it's like, ugh, there's more to it. So I right. love that you touched on that for sure. Right. So, 
Where can everybody connect with you and find out more about your work after this conversation? Yeah, so the best place for people to find me online is to go to my website, which is www.ashleycuthbertson.com. That's where you can find, um, I write a blog. I have, I'll just tell you what my show is going through a, <laughs> a reiteration, but the past episodes are there of my show. The Music Equity Chat Show is there, um, as well as other things that I do, information about the services that I provide to schools, districts, and organizations to support their music educators in developing the, the skills and the knowledge and really the disposition to implement culturally responsive teaching in their schools. I'm all over social media. And so you can find me on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on, what's the other one? Facebook. The links to those are also on my website, but I think I'm like a Cuthbertson 10 on most of those things. Um, you can find me in those places. And yeah, and reach out to me and let me know mm -hmm. how I can support the work that you're doing or the support the work of your school district, especially as more school districts are now getting to the point where they're getting to the music educators. They have all these grandiose ideas about culturally responsive teaching and equity, but the music educators weren't part of that conversation. If you're looking for support, reach out to me because that's exactly what I do is help folks to really, what does it look like to implement this in, um, in their schools? Oh, the other thing I should say is, and I'll share it with you, Jessica, uh, yeah. I have a link to um, one particular blog post that people seem to love is I wrote a blog post about uh, celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King, but really how do we utilize the culturally responsive approach? Don't just talk about uh, you know, Martin Luther King was a great mm -hmm, man, but actually mm -hmm. learn about the person, learn about uh, some other cultural things around it. So there's a blog post that I wrote that is called uh, Happy Birthday, Dr. King. It's a unit all about celebrating, but really it's a unit that I wrote to demonstrate what does it look like to take a culturally responsive teaching approach to teaching about a, a person and really a, the movement that led to his holiday being established in the first place. So if you're looking for an example of like Ashley, what practically does this like a lesson or a unit look like? That would be a great place to go. That's on my website. Um, and I shared that with Jessica so she can hopefully put yeah. it um, in the notes or something as well. That's mm -hmm. uh, the Dr. King one. Uh, and then on, if you join my email list, which if you go to my website, it like pops up. Um, I share every week different uh, resources, tips, and also updates on our services and different things that are going on. So get connected, uh, stay in touch and reach out if you uh, have any need that I can help you with. Amazing. Oh, thank you so much for coming on today. I have so enjoyed this conversation. And like yeah. usual, I learned so much from you. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Well, hey there. Thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook Group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.